but you set up a trading account, didn't you? Day Trader, Forex, maybe you're just trading for fun. There have been so many new millionaires, so many new millionaires that may even become billionaires over the next couple of years, all made during the last two years of this pandemic. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Taxes Made Simple. I'm your host, Carlton Dennison. In today's video, I'm going to share with you guys a little insight into my life and some of my clients' lives. I'm also going to be hanging out with one of my buddies, Austin Zellin, oh, oh, oh. who is a avid Forex trader. If you're somebody that's ever thought about getting into the day trading or Forex market, you might want to know when it makes sense to leave the main nine to five job and jump full in into day trading or Forex. But then again, there's a lot of risk with day trading with Forex. Do you feel like it's something that would be a steady income for you long term? We're going to go ahead into Austin's life. He's going to come out to Orange County with me. I'm going to show him a little bit more of Newport and some of the things that I like to do for fun. And we're going to interview him and see if we can uncover what got him into day trading, what got him into leaving his nine to five job, and is there real money to be made and how can he do it and repeat it? Let's dive in. When did you first get into your very first investment? Like, when did that all start? Um, I think the, the big starting point for me was back when I worked at Microsoft, I was consulting for them, and I was like, hey, like this is cool and all, I'm making some pretty good money, and I wanna try making money outside of my nine to five. Yeah. And so I started trading Forex, and I consider that to be my first investment because put money into an account, started trading it. The first year was absolutely awful. You lost money? <laughs> I lost money, so much money my first year. But I think that's a pretty typical experience for people in Forex because the first year, like you have no idea what you're doing. You don't even know how to place a trade. Um, and so lost a bunch of money my first year. Eventually got consistent at it though because I realized that like it's not about home run wins. It's not about that one big trade. It's about a series of consistent trades that even if I lose, two or three out of 10 trades, overall I'm still profitable. Yeah. And I don't let that psychology of one trade, one loss define like, hey, I lost a trade, I'm a bad trader, or hey, I won a trade, I'm a good trader. It's tied to my overall consistency, my overall record, as opposed to just one or two trades. Okay, so. but you had time while working at Microsoft to, to do trading? Isn't Microsoft like a demanding job? What was it like being at Microsoft and how did you even get the job? Um, it's kind of funny. I got the job, so I was a consultant there. I was a consultant at Microsoft, so not a full-time employee. Okay. Um, yeah, I was a I was like placed there as a temporary employee, so to speak. Um, and so that firm that placed me there, I was recommended by my university. I was doing my MBA back then. Uh, I think maybe still my bachelor's, but anyway. So they recommended me to go to this. Uh, organization and see what they can offer in terms of like a consulting role because that's something that I was interested in. I think it's a pretty diverse job where you learn so many different things, you get good at a bunch of different things, and it's like a nice start to your career. And so I was like, okay, this is awesome, I want to do that. Um, I went there and they placed me on, first I was on VMware projects, so I was doing VMware, uh, then I started transitioning over to Microsoft more, and then they placed me in Microsoft for this specific role. And so I, I really enjoyed it. You know, Microsoft is, they've been in business for a very long time, they've got their systems down, they're very methodical about how they do things, and they're really good at it, because they've spent a lot of money figuring it out. Yeah. And so, you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just trying to make little tweaks here and there to try and improve things. And the organization that I was in, we 
think we almost tripled uh, for While the two years there? that I was there. Yeah. Well, as yeah. a consultant, what did they have you like doing? What's your job role as a consultant to Microsoft? Why does Microsoft even need consultants? Like, don't they already have so, it figured out? Yeah, they do have a lot of things figured out. But the way it works is like Microsoft likes to sell their products and services through their partner channels. Let's say there's a consulting firm that's one of their partners. And that consulting firm has clients. And so when clients need like internet or they need cloud storage, they can push them to Amazon AWS or they can push them to uh, Microsoft Azure. And so Microsoft's job is to incentivize that partner to get all of their clients to go to Azure instead of Amazon. Okay. Because there's a lot of options out there, but whatever that company or that partner of Microsoft's decides to tell their customers is what they're gonna do because they're that customer's consultant. So you were communicating like with, with other partners. clients, with other partners. Yeah, with the partners. So I was helping develop that incentive strategy. Yeah. Where are our milestones? At what consumption rates do we pay out bonuses? So I'm like, hey, if you're if you have clients and you send your clients to Microsoft Azure and your monthly run rate goes up by 25%, I'm like, you did such a great job, here's $100,000. And okay. if you get it up by 50%, I'll pay you a million dollars. So like, working on the team that was developing that strategy, and then like actually communicating, too. incentivized. Yeah, so we incentivized an increase in Azure consumption. So if you drive more Azure consumption for us, we'll incentivize you by paying you bonuses. Okay, so you were figuring out how to get other partners to be incentivized to work with Microsoft. How is Microsoft incentivizing you to work for them? Because you were on the back end working on your own business outside of Microsoft instead of just going like gun ho and becoming like the Microsoft's next like CEO. You know, CEO. <laughs> Watch out, Satya. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, no, no. but like, what, what got you into like wanting to start on something on your own? Because that role, it's a very, like with Microsoft, you just have so many people working there. I was not the only person working with that client. Like there were maybe like five other people that interfaced with that partner. Yeah. So I wasn't the only one doing it. I had plenty of free time to do other things. And trading, it's unique because you do it late at night. So throughout the day, I could work on Microsoft and in the evening I could trade. That's exactly what I did. But even if I was trading during the day, like the job isn't that demanding. Like it is demanding when you're actually doing the thing. Yeah. But at a certain point you can automate so much of it where you're not doing that much work. It's mostly like maintaining relationships and like admin and organization and that type of stuff. It's not that heavy of a workload because they have so many people interfacing with those same clients. While being at Microsoft, Yep. Did it open you up to the Forex world? Is that where you first learned about like, okay, there's other people at Microsoft that are trading Forex or was it like, I should spend my nights learning about something other than what I'm currently doing to get better at Microsoft and my job? No, so actually it was neither of those. So even before Microsoft, I knew about Forex and I had started learning to, uh, like learning a little bit about it. And so I had some experience, but I really took it seriously when I was at Microsoft and it wasn't to get better at my job at Microsoft. and. Um, I had known about it before, but it was really like a turning point for me because I'm like, okay, this is great, but like how far can I really take this? And yeah. Do I want to be like these people who have been here for 17 years or 20 years or 30 years and like that's all they do? I knew I had more impact with my life, that, or I knew I could have more impact with my life um, if I took a different route. And in order to achieve that impact, I had to separate dollars from hours. So even though I was on salary, it's still technically I'm spending my hours to get dollars. Yeah. If I could achieve that separation, then my impact, it grows exponentially. The amount of impact that I can have 
grows like crazy once you can achieve that separation. I agree with you. Yeah. So you're essentially figuring out ways to buy your time back, but you got into it and first got into, did you get into any debt trying to trade at all? Or were you just starting out kind of successful? How was the first year of doing Forex? <laughs> the first year uh, was not profitable. I lost my own money trading the first year. Eventually I got consistent at it and I created a software that would basically trade automatically. And so when I first created the software, I did get into debt and I do not recommend anybody does this, but <laughs> it's actually a very bad decision. But I basically pulled out a bunch of personal credit and I got like $45,000 in personal credit and I used that credit to put into a trading account and I connected the software to it. And so by the end of the year, I had made like several hundred thousand dollars just with that 45K. And so I paid off the 45K and the difference was just my profit. And I'm like, man, like I could really scale this. Um, and that's when I started offering it as a service to my clients. I'm like, hey, if you use my software, we'll just figure out some sort of uh, payment like on a monthly basis and you can use the software. So that's something that I learned from Microsoft. Yeah. Their Azure is on a monthly basis, like your consumption every month, you're paying them for that service. And so that's actually one thing that I did take from Microsoft. I'm like, okay, you know, the software business is a lot more scalable than trying to like manufacture something or, or whatever it is. Um, and for me, that seemed like the best way to scale it without actually becoming like a hedge fund, which I didn't want to do at that time. Um, I am working on a couple of cool projects right now. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the start there. I started with debt, I made money, and then I started taking on clients as well. So I've interviewed a lot of business owners, and it seems like a lot of business owners put a lot of emphasis on doubling down on themselves. Sometimes yeah. that leads to going into debt to get, to get that success that they're looking for. Yeah. Where were you at in your life when you decided, you know, I'm gonna put all of this on my credit card, and what were you worried about when you were going through this process? Um, I was still pretty young at that point, so to be honest, I'm I'm not that worried about like risky situations. Like I'm pretty pretty okay with risk. And so at that point in my life, I'm like, okay, well, I have two options. I can just continue working at Microsoft, keep making whatever I'm making, or I have an opportunity to have a bigger impact on the world around me. And the only way that I'm gonna do that is if I can find a way out of this nine to five. And I had to make that transition. So it was a leap of faith. And one of my favorite quotes, um, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. And I'll never forget, one of my mentors told me that several years ago, and I'm like, wow, like that's so true. Yeah. If I wanna go do this thing, and it's really something that's gonna be impactful and something that's exciting and has a big potential, there's probably fear standing in the middle of it yeah. between me and that thing. And so for me, yeah, of course it was a little scary, but I'm like, okay, I'm faced with two options. Either I keep working at Microsoft, but the other option is I take out these credit cards and maybe have something big come out of it. And with that, my biggest potential loss was like, okay, I might go 45K in debt, or I might make a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I was willing to make that bet. Yeah. And the only reason I was willing to make that bet is because I knew how the software worked and I was confident in the strategy that we developed. Yeah. And I'm very thankful that I made that decision because it, it definitely paid off. I feel like that's something that's the one thing that you can't really force another aspiring entrepreneur to do is to know what type of level of risk that they should take. Yeah. But you can encourage them to take risks. So Absolutely. for a new inspiring entrepreneur that's looking to like start a business, what would you give them as like a word of advice as it comes to like taking risks, as it comes to approaching something that would require them to get into debt to get started? Yeah, so I think that, you know, there's a few things that you have to consider. Like 
when you're approaching an investment, there are investments out there that are guaranteed by like a promissory note or like you could take very safe right. investments that are very, very low risk, you know? And for those, it's worth getting into debt, in my opinion. At least for me, in my personal situation, it's worth getting into debt for those specific investments. Now, if I'm trying to take a super high risk investment, like, I don't know, let's say I wanted to buy Ripple right now or like Dogecoin or some random cryptocurrency, a meme coin. Yeah. That's a high risk investment. And I think that you have to understand that like, okay, the probability of me losing is like 90%. So do I really want to go into debt over that? Or I can take that debt and put it into something safe that basically has a guaranteed payout or close to it. And I'm willing to go into debt for that because I know that I'm probably going to realize some sort of return or in some cases they might have like a, a contract in place that guarantees that you'll at least not lose money. Yeah. So they limit your downside and you have an unlimited upside usually. Um, now another thing is like also rebalancing your portfolio. So early on I had to take a risk where I was all in. I just put in the whole 45K. But as my portfolio grew, I started taking money out of high risk investments and putting them into more safer stuff like uh, real estate and like oil and gas. Investment and, like, allocation. Exactly, just reallocating my investment portfolio where I have safer things, I have riskier things. And at the end of the day, I'm never putting all my eggs in one basket because I'm diversified across all these different things. And so I think that's the best risk management strategy is just being dynamic with it. You can't yeah. just do one thing and expect it to work forever. You have so, to reallocate strategically. When you're reallocating your investments and you yeah. think about people who are like, not even in a place where they can reallocate. They just want to get good at one thing. How do yeah. you get good at Forex really good if you don't have access to software or you don't have the ability to make an investment in a software? Like how do you get really good at one thing such as Forex? Yeah, well I think truly Forex is one of the hardest things to learn because there's so many things at play. Besides the trading skills and abilities that you have to learn, you have to learn the psychology of it because the market moves based on human psychology because everybody else thinks they're really good at Forex and is also trading the exact same thing that you're trading. And so if everybody's trying to take advantage of the market at the same time or find a market inefficiency to take advantage of, it's kind of hard to do that because everybody's thinking the exact same thing and the banks know that and they use that to manipulate the market in such a way where it's gonna look like the market's gonna go up and then everybody starts buying and they take the market down or they do the opposite. It looks like the market's gonna go down, everybody starts selling and they take the market up. So Forex is a zero sum game. That means that if you're buying, somebody else has to be selling or it just doesn't work. Yeah. So somebody has to be on the other side of your transaction. So banks know that. So if they want to take the market up, they're gonna convince you 100% without a shadow of a doubt that you need to sell. Yeah. And as soon as you sell, they're gonna take the market up because they have to. There's no way for them to make money if you don't. Yeah. That's the only way it works. And so for me, it was just spending literally tens of thousands of hours in front of the computer screen. Like at this point, I've spent tens of thousands of hours. Um, I've spent so many hours in front of the screen and like a lot of times it's not even trading. It's just watching what the market's doing. I take what I call potential setups. So if I see something happening that I want to execute on, I'll just look and like, okay, let's see what's gonna happen. And I watch it play out and I watch every single candle as it prints. How does it print? What does it do? What is it? What happens in the market that might make me wanna exit early or keep holding? And you learn those patterns and you learn the tendencies of the market and how it moves. And typically, 
history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yeah. And it always looks kind of similar and it kind of does the same exact thing. And there's certain setups that you can find that you just love trading. Yeah. Like I have certain setups that every time I see them, I'm like, oh, I know that's going to play out. And it does most of the time. We also have to realize that you're never going to be 100% accurate. And you have to be okay with being 70 or 80 or maybe 90% accurate and losing like, out of 100 trades, that's still 10 losses with a 90% yeah. accuracy. So you're playing odds. What if, yeah, what if they all happen in a row, 10 losses in a row? Yeah. What are you gonna do? Are you just gonna quit? It's just risk tolerance. Gonna, exactly, it's risk tolerance and it's being able to understand that your success as a trader is not tied to one trade. It's not tied to five trades. It's your overall portfolio. If you're long-term profitable, it's all that matters. Yeah. So for someone who's getting started in trading, what would you say is like the first type of pairs that make the best sense to trade or ones that you feel like were easy for you getting started? Yeah, when I was getting started, I was trading Euro USD. And I think a lot of people tend to start out with that one because it's it's a dollar pair. It's one of the major pairs and it's paired with Euro, which is not too crazy. Um, currencies like uh, GBP, British Pound and Japanese Yen, they're a little bit more aggressive and more volatile. But EURUSD, um, overall, the structure of it just seems to be a little bit more uniform, uniform and a little bit more uh, predictable in a way. Uh, but to be honest, I don't really trade it anymore. Not too much. Sometimes. Okay. So for someone who wants to make their first 10K in Forex, what would be the order of operations that you would tell them? Like, first go here if you know nothing about trading, then set up this, and then you're gonna to wanna to trade this pair. Like, what would be the order of operations for someone who's like, all right, I wanna make 10K in a side yeah. hustle this year and I want it to be Forex? To be honest, I think it starts with the amount of money that you have to invest. If you're trying to make 10K with a $100,000 account, you could do that in one month. But if you're trying to make 10K with a $500 account, I don't know if that's gonna happen. You'd have to get really good at trading. You know, and I don't want to sit here and tell people that they can make 10K with a $500 account because truly that's very, very hard. And unless you're trading at the expert level, it's probably not going to happen. Most traders lose their accounts very quickly. Um, but the order of operations for something like that would be number one to make sure that you have the funding in place. So whether you're pulling like business credit to do it or uh, you just have some cash stacked up and you want to put it into a brokerage account, that's going to be the first. Uh, first step is securing the capital. I wouldn't okay, fund the so account first step quite is yet. Make sure that we got the bag in place. Like we got secure the, money the bag to play. First. Yeah. We're not worried about like the money that we're playing with. We're exactly. essentially gambling with this money because it's new to us and we're okay losing it. <laughs> I wouldn't say gambling because we're following very strict procedures when we're trading, but in the sense of like you have no idea what you're doing yet, it's kind of like gambling. Yeah. But the overall process is not gambling. It's actually very strategic. As long as you're trading with a trading plan so and the strategy. So be comfortable losing this month. Yeah, okay. don't risk money that you you can't afford to lose. Okay, so that's sure. step number one. Step number one. Step number two is finding some sort of education. I always direct people um, to like resources on the internet. There's tons of free resources out there. One good one is uh, babypips.com. They okay. have a free academy. It teaches you like everything about Forex. But the thing is that they teach you too much about Forex. Like they teach you like a bunch of different strategies so I can go and they down don't grab go a hole pretty quickly. Yeah, and like they're teaching you all these different strategies and not really deep enough on either one of them. So I so, could get analysis paralysis or feel like it's overwhelming. Exactly. Most people end up feeling overwhelmed and so at that point you have to develop your own trading style or at least kind of piggyback off of somebody else's until you develop your own personal style. Got it. And what people do in that case is they hire a mentor. So some people come to me for Forex mentorship, they come to other people, other mentors in the space, and they learn about 
specific strategies on like, okay, I know all this Forex knowledge, I know how to calculate pips and draw down and take profits and stop losses, but now I need to know when do I execute my trade right. and why. I need to have all my confirmations in place and so they hire mentors to get to that expert level from the intermediate or beginner level to the expert level where you're able to do your own analysis and you're able to make your own trades based off of what you learn. Um, and that would be the next step. And then after that, I definitely recommend trading with a demo account, which is not a real account. What's a it's demo not real account? money. It's basically an account that does exactly the same thing as a real account, except it has fake money in it. Oh, okay. So it's just like paper money, paper account, paper trading. So I'm learning how to trade with like not my own money and yeah. if I make mistakes, I'm not experiencing real losses. Exactly. So no real losses, no real gains, but you still get the same experience. However, I would argue that psychologically you're not getting the same experience because, because it's not real the money. The wins aren't giving you the same high that you would have exactly. if you're actually trading with your own money and getting exactly. to experience real wins. Yeah, so exactly. you're just going to have to pull the trigger. You're going to have to pull the trigger the and fund an account. What I recommend is maybe your first account, just fund it with a little bit and just see what it feels like to win a trade with what real money. What would you say is like a small amount for someone to fund with who's like maybe sitting on 50 or 100k saved up? Um, if they have 50 or 100k saved up, I think it's reasonable to start with at least a thousand dollars there okay. are brokers that will accept like 50 bucks but like that doesn't really do anything but you have to keep in mind like if you're making 10 percent on your account like it's not going to be interesting if you're making 10 percent of a hundred dollars like you're making 10 bucks a month for trading all month like that's a lot of work to make yeah. just 10 bucks but if you have a thousand dollars in there at least it's like you know you made a hundred dollars or maybe two hundred dollars Ten percent on like, your money yeah it's a little bit more interesting and so i think for most people like they're gonna feel the psychological impact of making like a thousand or two thousand dollars. So yeah. it may, might make more sense to put in more, but also with like with your first account and your second account, the likelihood of you blowing all that money is so high that I recommend using a demo account first. And then when you're transitioning to a real account, maybe fund it with like a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and just kind of play around with it and see how it feels like to make real money and to lose real money because both of them can be detrimental to your trading. Yeah. I've had times when I was first learning how to trade, I tripled my account overnight. I thought I was the best trader in the world. And then I lost it all the next week. Yeah, that can happen <laughs> pretty quickly in your profession. Yeah, it's, it's like you get this euphoric feeling like I'm unstoppable. I just tripled my account overnight. Okay, like, so watch like, out Warren Buffett, like, oh, you only made 10%? <laughs> what is, would you say is like the biggest trade you executed in one day? I've had a couple pretty big ones. That was definitely later on in my career. Um, like but I've six had, figure executions? No, I've never had a six figure day. I've gotten close. I've had like 70, 80K right around there in a wow. day. Yeah, those were, they were high risk trades. They were scalp trades. So I wasn't in those trades for a very long time. I was just in and out really quick, but I saw an opportunity in the market and based on news and technical analysis, I executed that trade. I've only had a couple days like that, like two or three. Got yeah. What is a scalp trade? A scalp trade is basically a very fast paced trading style. So you see something happen on like the five minute time frame or the 15 minute time frame or one minute time frame. Is that another word for day trading? Not quite. It's like more, even more micro than day trading. Okay. Day trading is like you hold it for a couple hours maybe. Yeah. Or like intraday trading, that's what it's called. Whereas scalping is like you're expecting to be in that trade for maybe less than an hour, less than 15 minutes. I've had trades that were, I was in and out within 10 seconds. And I've had- You've been in a trade scalp. where you were in and out in less than 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> How much would you make 
in that little bit of time? Um, so for that trade, it wasn't too big. I think I had like 20 lots open on GBP, JPY, and there was like a, a breakout coming and I knew it was coming. So I opened the trade and it just so happened, literally nine seconds later, it hit my take profit. And I think it was only like 10 pips. So I made like $2,000 or something. <laughs> so nothing. $2,000 in nine seconds. Yeah, but it's like. That's like when you're watching ESPN and they're like trying to like put together LeBron James contract and how much money Steph Curry or LeBron James makes like per second that they're alive <laughs> and you're making $2,000 every nine seconds, it, at least on that trade. Yeah, yeah on you're that letting trade. letting it, like, people know that that's possible. Oh yeah, for sure. And like, you that's know, how much someone makes in, like, a, sometimes some people in two weeks. Yeah. yeah in yeah. nine seconds. Oh yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always happen like that. That was a lucky trade. <laughs> I, can hold my a... I can hold my breath longer than nine seconds. <laughs> Who's got the countdown? <laughs> oh, you just made two thousand. Two thousand dollars, right there. <laughs> Let's go. I love it, bro. I love it, bro. This has yep. been absolutely amazing. Thank you for joining for lunch. Absolutely, man. Look forward to getting you back in uh, in Orange County so we can show you some of the rest of the things that we have planned for you. Let's do it. I'm excited right. for it. This will be my third time bearing firearms and uh, I'm ready to exercise my second amendment. I'll be honest, I like to let my on how I feel about taxes right here. a tax strategist that's like me they come with that long range scope they can see way past just year one they're looking into year two year three they're thinking about all the type of money that you're gonna make in the future and what they can do to leverage the tax code to the fullest extent i put that extendo clip in for my clients i don't put that basic clip when i'm doing a tax plan i work with the extendo clip and i got the scope on them I thought it was fun. I guess we're not done yet. Oh man. Time for the big guns to come out. Oh, oh, oh. This right here, right there, in that, you feel that little divot? This part is gonna line up with your cheek. So it's tuck in. How am I doing? <laughs> this is my favorite one. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Buckshot. Slug. The size of your tax accountant's thumb. All right, guys. Wow. 
I don't know about you, but it's incredible learning from different entrepreneurs' perspectives. When I was interviewing Austin, it was so interesting understanding the way he views money, the way he views risk, and then also the way he believes in himself. You know, different entrepreneurs believe in themselves differently and choose to jump full into being an entrepreneur at different points in their lifetime. And so I was eager to learn about that jump for him and when he decided to go full steam. And for him, he had a hard decision to make. He was leaving Microsoft. I know he was probably facing a lot of scrutiny from his parents and people around him. And maybe you're somebody who's facing a lot of scrutiny for starting the business or wanting to jump into a new idea that might provoke you to create a new lifestyle for yourself and the family members around you. Whatever it is, it's going to require you to double down and believe in yourself. And I hope this video got you a little bit closer to believing in yourself. My name is Carlton Dennis. If you like this, feel free to like, comment, subscribe. You know what it is. I'll see you on the next video. Over and out.